to me, grit really is about building those strong habits. And it's about doing all the things that you know you're supposed to be doing and doing them on a day-to-day basis in order to achieve whatever that long-term goal is. And so in essence, it's really a marathon, not a sprint. And if, if we're able to build that consistency and we're able to get better each and every day, then that grind, that grit that you develop is going to give us an advantage in the marketplace. Hi, I'm Jubin, business development and go-to-market operating partner at Kleiner Perkins. And I'm really excited to bring you this episode of Go-To-Market Grit, a show that interviews amazingly successful sales and go-to-market leaders and explores how they operate, think, and deploy grit every day in order to build world-class teams. And now onto this episode. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I like to get these things started by reading my guests' backgrounds back to them, and you can fill in the blanks for me. Deal? Sounds great. Cool. So you went to UCLA. You got your BA in poli-sci. You then went to be a consultant at PwC. You spent almost two years doing that. You then entered the sales world as a sales engineer at Ariba. You spent about a year and a half there before you went on to Elance to be the director of sales engineering for two years. Then... You went to Wageworks, where you actually became the director of sales, so managing quota-carrying reps and AEs, presumably, and you did that for about four years. Then you went on to become the RVP of sales for the West at, and I'm going to butcher this, Benesist. You got it. For a year and a half. And then you went to Marketo, where you had a pretty awesome run, where you actually started as an enterprise AE. You did that for three years. Then you moved on to be the VP of enterprise sales. You did that for four years. Then the SVP of North America enterprise sales. You did that for about a year until Adobe acquired Marketo for a pretty large sum. Can you remind me what that number was again? Yeah, just north of $5 billion. It's a hell of an exit. And then you went on to Adobe, Rested Invested, were the head of Enterprise Americas for the digital experience brand, which was really Marketo at Adobe. You spent about a year doing that, presumably managing the integrations, making sure that the team and the transition was smooth. And as of just about a year ago, you became the chief revenue officer at Amplitude. That's it. You've captured it better than I probably could. I had an unfair advantage with LinkedIn. So I guess a couple of things that stuck out to me, and, and I want to make sure that there's a couple of things that I want to talk about with you today. The first is, this is your first time actually owning the full-on number for a company. And so I think the audience would really love to hear what the hell that's like. How is that? What's tough? What's good? Did you know what you were signing up for? And do you regret it now? And then I think the other thing that's relatively unique to your background is that you started as a sales engineer. And so I had a few questions on, you know, going from a sales engineer to a quota carrying rep to then sales leadership. But before we do any of that, when you were the RVP of sales at Benesist, you then went on to be an AE, like you kind of went back to a quota carrying role. Yep. Tell me more about that. Maybe if you could contextualize it with where was Marketo as a business at the time and maybe that decision-making process, because it is a bit atypical to go from a leadership role to then you know, an individual contributor only to go back through the ranks as a leader again. Yeah, so I was in a situation at Benesist where it was really towards the beginning of the whole marketing automation revolution. So back in kind of 09, 10, 11 timeframe, 
And in my role at Benesis, I had the opportunity to be exposed to the concept of marketing automation with some of the marketing leadership that we had there. And through that exercise, it got me really excited about what the potential was in this whole concept of partnering marketing with sales. As much as we talked about it, it wasn't something that necessarily we were doing very well in practice, certainly not at Benesis or at some of the other companies I'd been at previously. And so I fell in love with marketing automation. And with that, decided that I wanted to move out of kind of this SaaS benefit space that I was in and get into one of these up and coming marketing automation solutions. At that time, it was really, you know, Marketo, it was Eloqua, there was Pardot, there was HubSpot and get into one of those because I felt like, hey, I could make a difference. And even if I took a step back in my career, that there was such a huge opportunity, a market opportunity that I was willing to kind of go all in on it. And I had the good fortune of knowing some folks at Marketo and had gone through the process of evaluating vendors. And Marketo was the top vendor for me as a buyer of software when I was at Benesis and had the opportunity then to interview with them and talk to them about what I wanted to do from a career standpoint. But what was unique about the opportunity at Marketo was Marketo was about 11 or 12 million back in 2011, about 100 employees. ARR. In ARR. And... The interesting part about Marketo was it was a situation where there was this SMB focus on kind of velocity business that you see in a lot of SaaS venture-backed companies today. And it was, they're at this point where they're trying to decide, can we move upstream into the enterprise? And so they recruited and hired a small group of us almost as a science experiment to figure out, could we do it? And over a 12-month period of time, could we get into some of the largest brands of the world, be competitive, and continue to scale the organization in that direction? And that was exciting to me because in a way, it was almost a startup within a startup, so to speak. And we had a lot of flexibility to be creative and to build that market. And to me, even though it was a step back you know, from a the way that you look at it on a piece of paper in my career, to me, it was really this great opportunity to build. And I, I just love the building of markets. I love the building of teams. I love the building of companies. And that's really what's been in the history of my career is kind of where I've spent my time. And, and Marketo gave me that. And it was just the perfect opportunity at the right moment in time. And we also had discussions about my desire to eventually get back into leadership. If I was able to help build this enterprise team that eventually I'd want to get back into being part of running teams, being responsible for teams, being responsible for the number. And fortunately, we had a ton of success and kind of the rest is history. So they brought you in 11, 12 million. And the point of that was to basically say, can we validate going up market? Can we do bigger deals? Can we drive our ASP, our average sales price up and start to move the business forward in, in meaningful ways? with a larger enterprise team. When you think back on that, because a lot of people would say, nope, I'm not going to pick this company that's growing super quickly. I'm going to continue this leadership track. Often that's a decision made out of pride. I've made that decision before as well. And to your point, sometimes if you just get on one of these really fast growing companies, there's going to be so many opportunities that as long as you succeed, you're going to have opportunities to kind of make the most of it. I guess the question that I have is, what were some of the early tells when you first went to Marketo that, holy crap, this enterprise thing may actually have legs. And I ask that because often we make investments, to your point, at Kleiner, where they validate it within kind of the SMB and mid-market, and then there's a whole other set of DNA 
profile of leadership and sellers that have to come in. And there's usually early tells or things that you say, you know what? Yep, I think we got this. And that's when it's a good time to know, kind of put gas on the fire. Yeah, so I think for me, you know, my very first day, and I remember it distinctly starting at Marketo, was I got thrown on the phone with three different enterprise clients. I didn't even know really how to, other than spelling Marketo, what Marketo really did and certainly couldn't give the pitch, but it was literally show up at eight. By 10, I was on the phone with an enterprise client. By 12, I was on another one. And by two, I was on the third one of the day. And we were off and running. And so there was such an inbound demand and there was such a great, within Marketo, I mean, what everyone thinks about Marketo, certainly about marketing automation, but I'll tell you, the marketing within Marketo is one of the greatest things as a salesperson that I've probably ever seen. And I give a ton of credit to John Miller, who is one of the founders, who's probably one of the greatest content marketers I've seen of our time. And there's just so much content, so much information that was being shared and nurtured with these enterprises that the amount of inbound demand is something that I've never seen before. And so there was a there there. And I'd also known a little bit about that, having gone through kind of an evaluation of marketing automation on my own. And that was where I felt like I was taking a risk and I was placing a bet. But at the same time, I felt like it was a calculated risk and a calculated bet. And so one of the tales was certainly just the amount of inbound interest that we had without even having to go out and do our own demand generation efforts as a small team. Specifically inbound interest up market. Inbound interest up market from yeah. all over the Americas and across the globe. And that gave us a considerable amount of, I think, confidence that there was a market there. Now, I think the big thing for us was determining what type of market was it and could we compete in it? And really early on, we took the approach as many kind of upstarts do in a new market of just trying to take mind share and just to try and take as many accounts as we could from the potential competition. And when you start winning, you start to believe like, hey, we've got something here and we can overcome some of maybe the deficiencies in an enterprise SaaS product versus an SMB SaaS product. We can overcome some of the deficiencies from professional services or how we support these clients. And when you start getting large brands to start buying your services and your platform, it just kind of builds on itself. And you start gathering that momentum. And But it all started for me, the biggest tell was the inbound interest in what we were doing because of all the great content marketing that we had out there to help people understand the value that marketing automation could deliver, not only their company and the return on investment that it could have, but just even the way that you operate as an organization mm. between marketing and sales, what those handoffs should look like, what that partnership should look like, and painting that vision for marketers about what their impact could be on an organization, right? Because at that point in time, marketing was really considered arts and crafts, but this was now putting marketing at the forefront. And even at that time, Gartner was talking about how marketers were going to spend more on technology than CIOs were. And it really put them kind of in the crosshairs of, hey, I'm a strategic executive within the organization. Mm. And when you came in, as you went up market, what changed? What had to change when you and your team came in? And I say specifically change around process, tactics, the way that you execute the deals, leadership, DNA. I don't know. I'm kind of listing off a few here, but what are some of the things that had to change organizationally or compositionally within the execution of a deal that were pretty important for you to actually go win up market? Yep. So if you 
think about organizations that I'm sure you've spent time with that are built on that velocity business. You're talking about 30 to 45 day sales cycles from inbound lead all the way through actual closure. It's a little bit different when you're trying to navigate larger enterprises. Now, they may have a feel of a mid-market, and this is what I talk to my teams about all the time, is that enterprise today is a lot different than when we were selling Oracle and things that were behind the firewall just because of the dynamic of SaaS. And so you may be selling into a business unit rather than horizontally across an entire organization. But when we started, it was really on the backs of kind of an SMB platform and approach. So professional services, there was a professional services group, but we didn't charge for professional services. Our pitch was really around kind of ease of use and speeds of feeds and how quickly we could get you up and running, which isn't necessarily the pitch that you want to take to an enterprise. From a pricing and packaging standpoint, at that point, everything was on the website and it was full transparency, the the exact cost, which when you're selling into the enterprise, isn't necessarily what you want to have when you're getting into a negotiation that they can see everything on the website, exactly how it is and what your discounting structures are, because you want more flexibility in your pricing and packaging. There were a lot of things from a product standpoint that had to be improved. We didn't even have customer support at that time. And so how do you package customer support for an enterprise organization? Because that looks different. And for a lot of organizations at that time, they're willing to pay for kind of that platinum service. And so these were things that we were thinking about as a small group about how do we have to push the organization or where do we need to take this organization in order to help it mature from really just a focus on SMB, which is really that 45 day sales cycle to true enterprise, which encapsulates so much more than just the selling process. There's so many other elements that you need to tell a story about beyond just, hey, these are the core features and functions of the product. They want to know how are you going to be a lifetime partner? How are you going to help them? grow in their careers and have amazing success because of the technology that you're going to kind of build the backbone of marketing on. And so that was the fun part, right? Building out all the things I just mentioned, it effectively was getting an MBA in selling and in business and creating a market that, you know, you can pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for, or in my case, go to Marketo and learn it and build it and kind of see what works and and doesn't. That's a great story. I appreciate that. And So you came in with clear expectation setting, like, look, I want to be a part of this company because I believe in the company, but I certainly like, I have aspirations to be a leader, lead a team, grow a team. And you spent about three years as an enterprise AE. And in the context of a career, three years is not very long, but in this day and age, three years is feels like an eternity, right? And I'm sure folks on your team are asking for promotions in three months, let alone three years. So can you tell me a little bit more about like during that time, were you kind of like every quarter you'd put up big numbers, you'd get to the top of the leaderboard, you'd be like, okay, am I ready yet? Are you guys ready? Was it a different time then? Were you impatient? Just give me a sense of where your psyche was at when you were going through that, knowing that you were qualified to take that next step and lead the organization or at least lead a part of a team within Marketo. Yeah. I think there's a combination of things that play into what was going in at the time. I think it was one, it was a different time. I'm probably a little bit of a different generation where, you know, I grew up very much blue collar where you do the job in front of you and you don't ask questions. And, you know, when it's time for you to be promoted, they'll kind of tell you when it's time for you to be promoted. You don't go and ask for salary increases. And that's kind of what my parents fed into my mind, which is very much a as long as you do the right things and you 
put your head down and you accomplish the goals in front of you, eventually you will climb up the corporate ladder and that you don't kind of go ask for those things. And so there's a little bit of that mentality that I have, which is that old school blue collar. Like if you do the right things and you're super successful, those opportunities will present themselves rather than you having to go knock on the door and say, hey, I want to go ahead and do that. The other big piece that we haven't talked a lot about is, you know, we get so focused in on the technology and the market. For me, one of the big things about Marketo is just the people. If you look at the alumni of Marketo, they've gone on to do a lot of tremendous things. And I was in a very fortunate situation where the first leader I worked for at Marketo was a gentleman by the name of Greg Ames, who taught me a ton about not only just selling, but how to lead teams and and what that looks like. And another person who was super influential, who is kind of the godfather, I feel like a little bit of, of kind of this SMB SaaS motion is Bill Bench. And Bill, I was fortunate enough to build a relationship with him. And he was kind enough to me to really be one of those mentors that I have in life. And not only a long, long lasting friendship or a lifelong friend, but just a mentor that I still talk to quite a bit today about opportunities, things in business, things I haven't seen in the role that I'm in. And, you know, he always talked to me about, you know, you got to act like you're in the role before you get the role. And that's always stuck out to me. And so when you look at that three-year period of time, maybe today that seems like a long time. Maybe back then it didn't seem like as much of a long period of time. But ultimately, what was important was, could I act like I was the leader of that team before I ever took over that team? And that was really the mindset. And the investments that Bill made into me, just talking about business, talking about leadership, outside of deals, outside of being an AE, what I want to do in my career, it was invaluable and something that I'll never be able to repay him for, for sure. But something that I think has really created the foundation for me of who I am as a leader and getting back into leadership. I have to credit him with a lot of that because he made a, a lot of investments into me. It's funny. And I think my second episode with Jeff St. Clair, we talked about a very similar topic and he was like, look, it's usually pretty obvious who's going to be the leader. Like it's not this big surprise on who the internal promotion might be because usually there's a natural gravity towards that person from the rest of the team, you know, asking questions. They're usually at the top of the leaderboard. They usually have a blueprint of success that they could share with the rest of the team. And very typically that is what gets you promoted, right? And so usually it's not this big surprise and usually it's very well-earned and usually it's because your peers are coming to you to ask these questions on how to, you know, navigate deals or whatever that might be. Yeah, exactly. And that was a situation certainly at Marketo where I made it known that this is eventually where I wanted to take my career and whether that was going to be possible at Marketo or not, you know, it all depended on the success that we had as a group. I think sometimes we lose perspective and not to get too far off topic here around if you select the right company and you have the right people And certainly the technology is there and the market is there. The opportunity that you have in your career in order to grow it and grow it quickly is second to none. And this really hit home for me recently when I was having a conversation and had one of our board members speak to my overall sales team. And as we look at where we're trying to grow as an organization, he said, listen, as we look five years down the road, And we're trying to move from where we're at now from 100 million in ARR to a billion in ARR, let's say. In order to do that, if we have 100 people in this room, just think about that. 100 people have to become the next leaders of this company in order for us to get to that billion. 
And so if you want to be leaders, those opportunities are going to exist. And not that you have to have patience, not that you shouldn't accelerate through kind of that growth curve. But it was just interesting to me from his standpoint, seeing so many different companies have success and some that didn't have success around, hey, you people in this room and kind of in this moment, your opportunities are endless if we're able to continue to grow it at the rate that we are today. And sometimes I think we don't realize that in the moment you don't realize that, hey, if I can help grow this company 50 percent, 70 percent, 100 percent, whatever it is year over year, that's only going to create more and more opportunities for me, whether it's in leadership, other parts of the organization, different career paths. And that's the best part of being in these venture back companies. Mm, Absolutely. So fast forward three years later, you become the VP of enterprise sales. Tell me more about that. And then, you know, four years after that, you become the SVP of North American Enterprise. And so you kind of get into the seat and then you start really accelerating through it. How many people were on your team? What do you think got you from that VP role up to the SVP of North American Enterprise? I'd just love to hear a little bit more about that journey. Yeah. As far as team sizes were concerned, I mean, it always fluctuates. And I think it was anywhere from at the beginning, probably, you know, 50 people all the way up to the hundreds of people by the end. And, you know, what does it take? I mean, I think it takes a little bit of stamina, right, to be at a company for eight years. And and especially with a company like Marketo that went through so many changes. So we went public and had an IPO in 2013. Then we were acquired by Vista Equity. And then we were acquired again by Adobe. And so to go through all of that transition, there's some staying power, I guess, there that you have to kind of get through a little bit. And so there is a bit of a survival of the fittest. For me, that journey was incredibly helpful in in kind of understanding who I was as a leader and getting engaged with lots of other leaders that have done magnificent things. And it was an exciting journey because it allowed me to learn a ton. And it's kind of that growth mindset people throw around quite a bit about what that is and, and whether you have it or not. But there's a lot of failure that goes into building a company. And from those failures, I think it challenges you and and I was able to really lean into really understanding what is it to be a leader as you kind of grow and start to own a bigger part of the number and a, a bigger footprint of the organization and the different types of decisions that you're faced with, where it's not just about deals and deal execution. The further you get away from the deal or the further you get away from the field, you're thinking about a lot bigger topics and a lot bigger potential challenges and strategies that are impacting or could potentially impact your team, your company in the future. And that's really what I started to learn as I started to move up and go through those various roles and answer your question directly, kind of what was it and why did I kind of move into those roles or how did that all happen? I think it goes kind of to the title of your podcast a little bit here, which is there's a lot of grit involved, right? It's about perseverance. It's a lot of hard work. It's that blue collar work ethic. It's taking failure and understanding you know, how to to turn that into long-term success. It's about building relationships and investing in people and being genuine and authentic in your leadership style and approach. So I think there's a lot that goes and gets mixed together. I don't know if I exactly answered your question, but hopefully touched on it a little bit. No, you did. When Vista bought you, did they mess around? And Vista for the audience is a very large and successful private equity shop. Did they mess around with your team? Because typically what happens is when you get bought by one of these folks, there's a lot of leadership changes they will typically trim a lot of the team and then they'll basically repackage it up, make the margins look better, and then pretty much do what they did, which was sell it to Adobe. Was there a lot of change, turmoil, or trimming that was happening with your team? Or since 
it was the revenue organization. That was one of the things that they didn't really touch. It's one of the things they didn't really touch. I have to give Vista a tremendous amount of credit. Obviously, you see the output and the outcome, right? They buy it for a little over two and sell it for a little over five. You know, two years later is a pretty good return on the investment. But, you know, part of the reason I stuck around is I wanted to understand how kind of private equity worked and why Vista had had so many successful outcomes in companies that they had acquired. And of course, Marketo is probably the biggest acquisition they had done to date. So I think there's a little bit of learning on both sides around how did Marketo build kind of this engine, the velocity engine, as well as how did it move up market into the enterprise and drive the revenue that we did. And so I think they were learning from us a little bit, while at the same time taking some of their standard operating procedures and applying it to our business in order to help us run more effectively and efficiently. I think they came in at a perfect time where I think that companies reached these certain stages where I think we were in this awkward teenage phase where we weren't quite sure what we wanted to be when we grew up. But what we did know is that we did have this great base of enterprise clients and logos. And how could we expand that revenue? How could we continue to move into that market as the market continued to mature? And I think they recognized that and they didn't want to disrupt that revenue stream. And so I was fortunate enough to be in a part of the business that was the growing part of the business and where Vista was really all in. And so we just added headcount and resources all the way from engineering and how do we make this more enterprise grade solution all the way through kind of what you see from a go to market standpoint to support our efforts there. And so being that kind of central revenue engine at that point in time was awesome because it gave me the chance to grow a team and build the team and really be the focus of the organization because that was one of the main drivers or the primary driver and the focus that Vista had coming in is how can we continue to grow the enterprise because that's the value for them to get a return on their investment. That's where we need to show growth. That's where we need to show that there's value in the types of businesses and brands and how much they're willing to spend on a platform like Marketo. Yep. Makes total sense. Okay. Then Vista acquires you for 2 billion. You spend a couple of years with Vista. Then Adobe acquires you for 5 billion. At the time, you are the SVP for North America Enterprise. Is that right? As a part of that acquisition. Then they say, okay, Matt, you are now the head of Marketo on the go-to-market side, ostensibly within Adobe, right? So you spent a year, again, kind of doing the integrations and fast forward to today, or I should say a year ago, you joined a company called Amplitude. I want to frame up a little bit about this company, Amplitude, because it's a really, really interesting story and quite a success story. Benchmark did the Series A. Sequoia later came in for the Series D. You most recently raised a Series E at over a billion dollar valuation. Spencer, your CEO, has said roughly you're doing about 100 million-ish of ARR, a little bit more, a little bit less, plus or minus. The story of Amplitude, if I may, is that it launched in 2014 by your CEO and, and co-founder, Spencer Skates. And the company that he originally started was actually a voice recognition startup that didn't work out so well. So he pivoted the company. And what he realized was that as he was trying to build his original company, he had a really hard time figuring out what services to monitor as customers kept trying to come to his platform. So fast forward, he built that. And... There's a couple of use cases that you guys serve today. So an often cited one is that Peloton uses Amplitude to learn that its customers were using the virtual high five, which was a good signal for them that 
look, this is a great engagement tool. We should double down on this product feature and pay attention to it. The meditation app Calm uses it or used it for a meditation reminder within Amplitude's software. They were setting a, a meditation reminder that Amplitude software was picking up on. So again, kind of these cues. You probably do a much better job of me than explaining it, but is that a fair characterization of, of what you guys do? It does. I mean, I think people talk about Amplitude as in kind of the space of, at least today, is product analytics. And in its most simplest terms for me, in the way that I try to explain it to my mom and my dad, is that effectively, we're trying to help organizations understand the customer journey, the various channels and the various ways, especially in this digital economy that we have, that you engage and interact. And that's a really hard thing for organizations to be able to understand, especially the enterprise, because of the various channels and the digital signals that exist. And so how do you understand what's working and what's not? Because engagement is so very important. And I learned that certainly on the marketing automation side of the world, but that was just kind of a piece of the puzzle. And now to be at a company like Amplitude that sees all these various signals that exist out there for organizations that are typically exist in these data silos is really hard. And so for organizations like a Calm or a Peloton or others, the ability, whether it's within their product or even in use cases beyond that, where you think about customer retention or how that interaction engagement takes place, there's lots of ways you can apply Amplitude to understand through the use of data what's working and what's not in the way that they engage with your brand and the way that they engage with your technology. And I appreciate the explanation. I certainly butchered it relative to you. Ironically, long-term, you're going after Adobe's creative cloud in one way, shape, or form. Is that fair or unfair to say? I think as we look to the future, I think there is the potential for us to compete with elements of larger players like an Adobe or a Google Analytics, certainly, because I think in this analytics world, I think there will ultimately be some consolidation and people looking at opportunities of kind of newer technologies that maybe come to market that allow them the opportunity or allow people or product managers or product people or even marketers to better understand the data at hand and what the engagement is of individuals. Because the beauty of Amplitude is not really about the first question because that's the easy part. Like I have a question like, why is this working? Why is it not working? But what you see is once you find that answer, it usually then spurns two or three other questions. And so the ability to kind of infinitely ask questions and kind of go through that process, that exploration process, is really where I think we have an advantage in the marketplace. And so long term, I think ultimately, and we even see this today in the near term, we'll see ourselves competing in markets similar to Adobe and Google Analytics and some of the various products that they have in market as well. Yeah, didn't mean to put you on the hot seat with your former employer. So, okay, this is almost unfair to characterize you as a first-time CRO or VP of sales just because your responsibilities have been so broad and expansive previous to this, whether it's at Adobe or Marketo. But the reality of it is 70% of first-time CROs and VP of sales do not make it through the first year. So not an easy job and not for the faint of heart. I think you have, so congratulations. It is a much smaller organization than what you used to have. And what I mean by smaller is that, you know, you're probably doing like a few hundred, maybe 400 million of ARR at your previous organization when you left. Amplitude's doing maybe a quarter of that, right? And so you jump in and the number, the company number, what you report to the board is your number. 
And I think there's a, a nuance to that that I want to just explore with you. Before I do, as you're evaluating this opportunity, when you were leaving Adobe, what were some of the things that were really important to you? Was it non-negotiable that you wanted to own the number? Was that kind of the next step for you? Was it a specific space or opportunity? I'll leave it open-ended and get your thoughts there. Yeah. So when I decided to leave Adobe, it was a super hard decision because I had been and grown up really with a lot of the people that were at Marketo and a lot of people on my team. And when you build a team over the course of as long as I was at Marketo, there's a lot of lifelong relationships that you have. And you know, for me, the hardest thing, and I say this to people all the time, is that breaking up process, mentally getting into that place where you feel like you're ready to break up and move on and do something new. And the hardest thing for me was about the people is I didn't want to let people down or feel like, hey, I'd given up on them. And it wasn't that I had given up on them or Adobe. It was just I needed a different challenge in my career. And so when I looked at new opportunities, I looked at large organizations that were publicly traded and, and then also organizations like Amplitude. And I was fortunate enough to meet Spencer about three years ago. And he and I had maintained contact over the last three years. And I, I'd always been intrigued by what he was doing at Amplitude because at that time, in my mind, the way I'd set it up is we had seen this transformation through SaaS of, you know, you obviously have Salesforce and kind of the sales cloud. You have, you know, marketing automation in the marketing cloud. You have the services cloud. So you have all these clouds that have developed over the last decade. And for me, I kind of thought about product as that last frontier. Has anybody really created a cloud for product and felt like there was an opportunity to potentially build a platform or at least be part of that solution? And you hear a lot of organizations talk about a growth stack that exists in that growth stack, you know, Amplitude's a part of it. And could we be part of that cloud solution for product managers or for the chief product officer? And that's kind of how I looked at Amplitude. Now, I don't know that we will be or there will be a product cloud. And if there is, maybe we'll be a component of it. But that was where I gained a lot of interest in Amplitude because I had a comfort factor with Spencer, number one, and we'd known each other for a period of time. Product was super important to me, the product market fit. And one of the beauties of the Marketo model is there were so many people that just loved, you know, the color purple or loved the brand Marketo. And there's that same feeling when I talk to customers before going to Amplitude, that there is that just the same vibe and the same energy around that install base of people just, hey, I couldn't do my job without having Amplitude or I couldn't think about doing my next job without it. And, and I've even seen since being at Amplitude, people who have moved jobs a few different times because of the circumstances that we're in, who have brought Amplitude with them. And to me, that is the greatest testament for a company is when your customers are moving you from job to job with them about how critical you are and how much you can help them grow and move up the ladder in their careers. And that's just an awesome thing to be able to see and be a part of. And, you know, the last thing for me outside of kind of the people knowing Spencer, the technology being great and seeing what was happening within the install base is certainly the various people who were committed from a venture capital standpoint. There's obviously a lot of Folks who have been very successful, whether it's Neerage or whether it's Eric from Benchmark or certainly Pat from Sequoia, just a lot of great people that were super supportive and seemed really engaged in the success of the company. And that was super important to me as well as I looked at the various opportunities. Yeah, that makes total sense. And tactically or motivationally speaking, is there a difference in your mind from what you used to have to do to now? And as you think about your top priorities and responsibilities now, 
Are those different? Do you view them through a different lens? Today, being the CRO, owning the number, partnering with the CEO in such a close way than you have in the past? And again, if that question doesn't make sense, tell me to shut up. No, no, it totally makes sense. You actually freaked me out earlier when you said 70% of CROs and VPs of sales don't make it through the first year. I hadn't heard that before. And now I feel feel a little bit better today that, <laughs> that hopefully I'll make it through it. But um, I didn't realize the failure rate was so high. You know, for me, I felt like, and it goes back to the story I told earlier about kind of, you know, as I moved up, I think within Marketo is I was very lucky at multiple points in, in my career. And it's certainly during Marketo, one of those being having the opportunity and being exposed to maybe some of those more executive types of discussions that were taking place. So for example, Steve Lucas, who came in right after Vista had acquired Marketo and became the CEO of Marketo at the time, I spent a lot of time with him and I owe him a tremendous amount in my career as well, where he shared lots of thoughts with me as, as far as leadership and being a CEO and kind of what do I want to do in my career and investing in me and investing in my career and where I wanted to go. And so I think when I got to this role, I didn't feel like I was unprepared, but you're never going to be prepared for everything in all contingencies that are going to happen. I mean, if you were to tell me a year ago that I was going to take over the role here at Amplitude, we were going to have a, a pandemic, we we're going to have potentially issues around you know voting here in the U.S., all the the social injustices that are taking place right now, like that's a lot to handle. And so to answer your question directly, yeah, there was a lot more to this that I was never trained for, or, you know, the Steves or the Bills or any of those people in the world could ever have prepared me for. And I certainly operationally deal execution wise feel like those are huge strengths of mine. But when it came to like some of these people issues and much broader issues that I hadn't necessarily had to deal with, because there was always a layer you know, above me that was worried or thinking about those things on a broader level, that's really been the biggest change for me is that need to go ahead and think really broadly, more so about the people, people programs, that execution side rather than the execution of the business. And I guess taking this all the way full circle, do you think that you're going through a similar set of motions with Amplitude that you did as you were the founding team on the enterprise side with Marketo. Is there a similar set of go-to-market challenges that when you said, hey, there's, you know, the board member came in, there's 100 reps in this room today, we're doing about 100 million, and we want to get to a billion, imagine the opportunity. In order to get to that billion, is it a similar set of things around going up market, making sure you have the right DNA, making sure you have the right team and the people and being able to have had the inside look to that before? I don't know, maybe it's not. And I'm drawing a parallel that may not exist. No, I think it's a great parallel. And it, in fact, it's really one of the reasons why I took the job at Amplitude is because I felt like there were so many parallels between what I just experienced at Marketo and and what I loved about Marketo and building out that company or helping build that company that I thought applied here. And not that I just want to look at Amplitude and say, hey, I'm just going to, we should just redo everything we did at Marketo and, and just make kind of Amplitude Marketo part two. That's not the case at all, because obviously there's different people, different markets, products, people we sell to, uh, lots of different challenges. But when you look at kind of the big boulders that we had to figure out and solve for, I thought I could bring a level of experience to amplitude and maturity to amplitude that would help us kind of move forward and solve some of the problems faster. And I think that's one of the things that I pride myself on today is after the first year is that we put in a lot of 
some of the fundamentals that I think you need in order to drive and build a consistent business that's valuable, not just to you know, venture capitalists, but hopefully one day to public markets as well. And that for me was the exciting part about this opportunity because it felt a little bit like deja vu all over again. And so it felt very natural to me. And again, because of the people and because of the market and the way that markets reacted to amplitude, it just felt like, man, this could be that rocket ship again. And how many people actually have the opportunity to do this a couple of times in their career? And for me to be able to lead the entire sales organization through this growth period was something I just couldn't pass up. Yeah, I love that. On the sales engineering stuff. So you started as a sales engineer, went all the way through. I wanted to get your thoughts on what do you consider a successful relationship between a rep and an SE? Man, they've got to be hand in hand on everything. The best partnerships I was ever a part of when I was an individual contributor was when effectively you're best friends, you're almost inseparable. You get to the point in working with an SC and in the best relationships that you're almost able to finish each other's sentences. And when you get to that point in time, like that's magic because kind of the show that you put on for customers and the way that you present your technology and the value, if you're able to have kind of that rhythm, if you're able to have that relationship, people pick up on that. People pick up on the fact that you enjoy each other. You enjoy what you're selling. You enjoy being together and selling. And so if you're able to keep create that deep bond that goes beyond, hey, we just get in a room or you adhere virtually and do demos together, but you kind of know each other in at a personal level, which makes this all that much more meaningful and the outcome more meaningful. Like I said, that's magic. Those are the best partnerships you can possibly create between AEs and SEs. Are there any key responsibilities that you think about for an SE versus a rep? And it could be very tactical or it could be strategic. Like as you think about the dynamic duos that have been the most successful, what do you think each of them functionally does exceptionally well in order to be successful? Yeah, I think the biggest mistake, and I mean, this sounds very simple, is when people establish kind of a very dark line, let's say, of, hey, the AE is responsible for these steps in the sales process and the SC is responsible for just the demo. I think the more leverage you can get out of an SE in a sales process, the better. And what I mean by that is I remember one time when I was an SE and this was at Ariba, I was in front of a CFO of a large technology company. And he asked a question and my AE went to answer it. And he said, no, I don't want to hear from you. I want to hear from that guy because I trust him. Right. And that's where you want to get in any of the relationships. And so I think For an AE, the one thing that's super important to remember is that the trust that you can build around your SE with your client and the way you can incorporate them as a strategic part of your sales cycle, the return on that investment is you can't even calculate. And I think sometimes we miss that. We look at it as kind of a sequential steps where, hey, I'm going to do this next. We have this demo. We have whatever the steps are after that. And we We only have the SC come in for that one part, where if you incorporate the SC throughout all the various stages and steps and have them develop relationships very similar to what you do as an AE, then they're intertwined into the fabric of the deal. And they can have conversations around what's happening within an organization, 
who feels what. And a lot of times customers are much more apt to, like the example I shared, share information and that maybe they won't with an AE because it always feels like the AE is after something or has a hidden agenda. And so I, I think if you can create that dynamic and remember, and what we talk a lot about at Amplitude is how do we kind of utilize the SC function as what it is, which is a strategic function that goes beyond just doing demos or just doing business cases or what have you, that they can really be a salesperson side by side with you that's just selling to a different part of the organization. That's a great place for us to leave it. Matt, I think Amplitude is lucky to have you. And I'm looking forward to when you get to a billion dollars of revenue, we do a, a round two of this and we can talk about the journey trial and tribulations along the way. In closing, I always ask the same questions. The first one, what does the word grit mean to you and how do you or your teams apply it? Yeah, so to me, grit is about really the perseverance, being passionate about getting through whatever challenges and obstacles are placed in front of you. And a lot of times those are obstacles that we can't control. And so grit is a topic that we talk about a lot at Amplitude and have this past year because of so many things I mentioned earlier that we can't control. To me, grit really is about building those strong habits. And it's about doing all the things that you know you're supposed to be doing and doing them on a day-to-day basis in order to achieve whatever that long-term goal is. And so in essence, it's really a marathon, not a sprint. And if, if we're able to build that consistency and we're able to get better each and every day, then that grind, that grit that you develop is going to give us an advantage in the marketplace. It's going to give you as an individual, whether at Amplitude as a seller or at another company, is going to kind of psychologically build that muscle for you that you're able to grind your way through any types of challenges, any types of failures that you have, because you look at those failures as an opportunity to learn and move forward. And that's really what we try to embrace here at Amplitude is that grit, build that muscle, build the consistency every day. But then let's face those challenges. Let's build off those challenges because we're going to make mistakes, but let's make those mistakes learn and become kind of mentally tougher as a result. If someone hears this episode, are you hiring? Where are you hiring for? And how would they get a hold of you? Yeah, so we're hiring everywhere in all parts of the organization right now. I have a strong focus right now on my enterprise organization as we go after kind of that up market and continue to go after up market within the enterprise. We've got positions all over there, SCs, SDRs, customer success. I mean, you name it, any function in our go-to-market right now, we are looking for people heading into 2021 just because of the growth that we're looking to achieve and the success we've had this year. So we are, as they say, I guess, putting gas on the fire at this point in time to see how fast we can grow this thing and make everyone successful. And so to get a hold of me, LinkedIn is always the best way. I don't have this huge social footprint for fear that I might make mistake late one night. So, so LinkedIn is always the best and you can find me there. Matt, really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you folks for tuning in to learn from our amazing guest and for indulging me as the rambling host. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to get in touch or keep up with the pod, please follow me on Twitter at Jubin Mir, or shoot us an email, gtmg at kleinerperkins.com. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, please support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen. Thank you, and I will see you next time.